Good to be in the house of the Lord with the Lord's people, Sunday morning, worshiping together. It's a blessing being here already. Thank you, Mark, for sharing in a devotional meditation here this morning. Um, this week, I was encouraged and blessed by the uh, speakers that we had come speak to us about stewardship. Um, probably one of the things that really uh, impacted me this week, I think, a number of the speakers had alluded to this, and uh, maybe especially um, Mark Anthony and Tim Thomas. Um, Tim Thomas, or um, Mark Anthony, I think, had made the comment that when he thinks about, when he is at work, he tries to think about how his boss would like for him to do things. my work, whether it be ministry or whether it be my job that I hold, do I seek God? And do I really want what God wants in situations that come up and in various, even in a daily uh, ministry walk? I'm continuing uh, preaching on faith here. Um, I'll do one more message after this morning on faith. Um, I'm not planning really to, to preach much about this, uh, what faith is not, but I did think it might be appropriate this morning to talk just a little bit on what faith is not, and then we'll spend uh, the rest of the morning looking at what faith is, and we'll look at some of the patriarchs here listed here. We have Abel, we have Enoch, we have um, Noah, and Abraham in the text that Paul read for us here this morning. So we want to look at their faith and what that faith was and how they lived their faith, the, the uh, works that it produced. But maybe what spurred my um, study into faith was some of the uh, misconceptions that I believe that are out there on faith, what faith is, uh, in our society today. Um, there is church groups that teach, I believe, a false view of faith. And they are false teachers. And we should identify them as such. And, and uh, I don't think what they're practicing now, what they're teaching people that are following them is biblical at all. Um, we'll see that as we study the patriarchs. But one of those um, teachers that is, I believe, making inroads to maybe even some of our conservative circles is a man uh, by the name of uh, Bill Johnson. He is uh, the leader of a church out in California uh, by the name of Bethel Church. And uh, he is teaching a faith that we do not see in Hebrews chapter 11. We don't see it. Um, he has a very high emphasis on the Holy Ghost. And, and um, I've done a little bit of research on some of his teaching just because it's been coming up some. And um, they have times in their church where they believe they have a certain tunnel or something where people are supposed to go into and they blow wind through the tunnel and people get 
drunk in the spirit and things. It's really, really weird things. People lay on the floor, they're flopping around. And basically, if you look at the scene, you would say you have a bunch of intoxicated people laying and flopping around on the floor. And that is a false view of the Holy Ghost. That is not what the Holy Ghost does. The Holy Ghost is a teacher for us. Uh, another thing, and maybe especially this idea of faith, and um, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's negative. It is. But I think we, are, we do well to be aware of what's around us because um, eventually it'll come around. Um, another uh, thing in this faith movement is um, faith healing, um, raising from the dead, some things like that. I was uh, appalled. Uh, recently, my wife's cousin had a child who died uh, a choking accident, and um, some young people came in uh, late at night, one night after the viewing, during the viewing time, after the viewing was over, came in and tried to raise this child from the dead. And uh, this teaching is coming from the pits of hell. This kind of thing is not... It is not the faith we see exhibited here in Hebrews chapter 11. And um, I, I'm grieved by that. I'm grieved that the parents needed to experience that. But this is the teaching that's coming from Bill Johnson and this uh, Bethel movement out in California. Now let's not confuse that with Bethel Church here in Lancaster. But it's out in, out in California, Bill Johnson. Um, Another thing that uh, comes up in this faith uh, practice is these people will, they will, um, faith healing is something. And so um, if you have enough of faith about something in your life, about a situation or about a handicap or whatever it might be, if they, their teaching is that if you have enough of faith about this and you believe that there can, can be healing, then he will be healed. Usually the logic is that if there is no healing, then there was a lack of faith somewhere that kept this healing from happening. Again, false doctrine. False doctrine. Not true. It's not the biblical faith that we know in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, so that's faith healing. Another aspect of what they teach many times, and I forget the name of the individual. He owns several jets, I believe, and he flies around, preaches at Koblenz. Is that right, Dave? Kenneth Koblenz. Um, so he's uh, another one of these health, wealth, prosperity teachers. And um, I'm just going to name the names because I think we should identify them as false prophets, and that's what they are. They're false prophets. If the teaching comes up and you run across it, label it as false prophets. It's false, condemned. Um, so Kenneth has these jets that he flies around in to preach, okay? And so um, at least one time, and just the arrogance of this is just disturbing to me. He was flying somewhere, and there was a tornado that they seen, and they commanded the tornado to go away. And the tornado, it, they said the tornado came up, and it dissipated. And it's like, you know, this is not in your place to do that. This idea of commanding things to happen, commanding healing and all of that, that belongs to God. 
We don't tell God that this is what you have to do. Now, we can come to God and we can ask for healing. There was a, uh, a point in time in my life where I really desired for healing for a situation, but God saw it otherwise. And so we are content in living with what God has for us. Um, the idea of commanding that to happen and that it has to happen and if it doesn't and somebody somewhere doesn't have enough of faith is just false doctrine. Label it as false doctrine. Those teachers should be labeled as false doctrine. Never give in any way to any of those kind of ministries. It's false doctrine. <clears throat> and so that's got me a little riled up here this morning. And it kind of, what spurred me into this and just talking about a little bit in my opening here this morning is the incident with the, the trying to raise a child from the dead. Um, yeah, that's unfortunate. And these, what's most unfortunate is that these people's teachings are making their inroads into the conservative circles. That grieves me. So let's look then at what faith is. So that's, that's what faith is not, okay? Faith is not any of those things that are listed there. That's just simply somebody is, um, somebody just working things up. This idea, you know, the tornado coming down and coming back up, or of commanding the storm to move somewhere else, and then it does. Well, that's really unfortunate because if the storm moves on the other side of the mountain, then those people get affected. And so the person here who's commanding that storm becomes liable then for the, the other person that got affected by it. So it's, to say the least, it's, it's just false. It's just false. <clears throat> faith. So what is faith? Faith is a conviction of the truth of anything. It's a belief or a conviction respecting man's relationship to God and divine things. Generally, the included idea of trust and holy favor born of faith and joined with it. Relating to God, the conviction that God exists, this is what faith is, and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. As it relates to Christ, it is a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> we, today, we walk by faith and not by sight. And uh, that's a passage in, I think it's in 2 Corinthians somewhere. I don't have the text written down here. We walk by faith and not by sight. One day, one day we will see things clearly. Today, we will actually be present and we can see our faith will become sight. Today, we don't see it yet, but one day we will. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10. If you turn in your Bibles, we're going to spend the rest of our time there this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and chapter 11. At the end of chapter 10, we see um, the writer here says this. He says, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Three things I see coming through here. We see the just shall live by faith. And then we see God is displeased with the drawing back. And then uh, in verse 39, he says, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. 
This perdition has the idea of going back into, going back into condemnation. We are not of them that go back into perdition, but we believe of the saving of the soul. It's at the root of our faith. So the first character I'd like to look at here this morning is Enoch. Enoch, interesting, was a man of faith. We read very little in scripture of him. Um, he, he was, uh, what we know about him is that he was translated. He should not see death. And uh, he was not found in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation, he had this testimony. Here is what we know about Enoch, that he was a man of faith. What was it? Anybody? What was it that is written about Enoch that we know he was a man of faith? Yes. In uh, verse 5, uh, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So the people that were living around Enoch... And his neighbors and his family and his friends knew that Enoch pleased God. And by that, they knew he was a man of faith because he pleased God. <clears throat> In verse 6, it goes on, he says, For without faith, it is impossible to please him. He goes on to explain how Enoch's faith, how that Enoch pleased God and how it was that that was his faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. <clears throat> He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Next one we see here is Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness which is by faith. One verse dedicated to Noah. Um, could probably preach an entire sermon on just this one verse. Noah, here we see, he was warned of God of things not seen and then here's what Noah did. He was moved with fear in, uh, in verse 7. He was warned of things not seen as yet. And what I believe that means is that there was, there was no rain prior to this, right? The earth would have had a canopy. And uh, Mel could teach much better on this than I can. But there was no rain. And so the idea of a flood was a completely a foreign concept to, to the people that were living in Noah's time. A flood and a boat. Like, no. But Noah heard from God, and he was moved with fear, and uh, it's what propelled him into action. And, uh, you know, interestingly, Noah went into action. His faith, what he believed about God, moved him to do something. Noah didn't stand there and command a boat to appear. He started, I believe, stick by stick. He went out into the woods and would have cut down trees, and he would have debarked them, and he would have went through the whole process of building this massive boat. Years and years of building. 
This was Noah's faith. He didn't command something to happen, but rather he believed it, and he went out, and he day to day, every day for years and years, he built this ark, went on to build. <clears throat> it was by faith that Noah is, this is the uh, New Living Translation. It was by faith that Noah built a boat, built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. There's a phrase here in verse 7 that says, by the which he condemned the world. How was it that Noah's building of a boat condemned the world? I believe Noah, in, by building the ark, it unsettled the people that were around him. And in that sense, it condemned them. Because they, could, they, they knew there was a judgment coming. They was preaching about a judgment. And the signs of the boat was a sign of the coming judgment. And the people were able to observe this. Um, but they weren't living it. And so because of that, it condemned their way of living. I believe that's what this is inferring here. His obedience to the command that God had given, it condemned their contempt and their rebellion. Noah's obedience to God's command, it condemned their contempt and rebellion. <clears throat> and they proceeded on to mock him. Isn't that typically what people do who feel condemned? They will mock the, the, other, the other party that's making them feel condemned. <clears throat> Good examples will either convert sinners or condemn them. I believe in our life, an application for us today. Our faith in God, we also need to speak, but the way we live and what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, what our summer Bible school teachers have been teaching us this week, how we live makes a big impact on the world around us. There is something very convincing in a life of holiness and regard to God. It commends itself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Have you ever, I've been around business long enough to have experienced sometimes when people start cursing and all of a sudden they realize maybe they shouldn't be cursing and I'm not because I said something. Somehow they realize they shouldn't do this. Sometimes maybe we should say something, but many times they can see it by our life, by our lives and the way we live. I believe living this way is one of the best ways the people of God can take to condemn the wicked. Not by being severely critical of others, but by living by example in a life set apart to God, holiness. <clears throat> He possessed a true justifying righteousness. We see in, uh, at the end of verse 7 there, he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. He became an heir of righteousness. Through his, through his faith, through his belief in God, he became an heir of righteousness. Um, not that he obtained it by his works, but by his 
faith, he became an heir of righteousness. You know, one of the lessons I take from this is if we, if we ever expect to be justified and saved in the great and terrible day of the Lord, we should now prepare an ark and secure an interest in Christ and in the Ark of the Covenant. And we should do so speedily before the end of the time comes. There is salvation in no other except through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> All right, let's move on into verse 8. There we see the faith of Abraham. Abraham is a character that I find. His, his, the faith of Abraham is uh, an interesting study. If you ever have time to go through and just go back into Genesis, we won't spend much time there, even though I'll refer to a few things back in Genesis with Abraham. Um, he was an interesting character as it relates to faith. We know Abraham wasn't perfect, and he made mistakes, and sometimes he tried to do some things on his own. But uh, his faith propelled him into action. <clears throat> Abraham is called a friend of God. He is a father of the faithful. And uh, we want to look a little bit at the grounds of Abraham's faith and the call and the promise of God as it relates to these several verses here. The call of faith for Abraham, as God called Abraham, you think about Abraham, he was living in with his um, father. And... Historical records will tell you that his father was idolatrous. He had many gods. And um, Abram would have grew up in that kind of a home setting. And so um, God called Abraham out from the idolatry of his father's house. And he said, get thee out of the house. In Acts chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, I'll just read that here. And he said, men and brethren and fathers, this is Stephen, making his defense before the council. Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Koran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. So here we see the call. Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show you. But God, I mean, I, you know, where, where to? He said, I will show you. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a, just getting over a douse of the cold. <clears throat> My voice is giving me some trouble this morning. <clears throat> um, this was, this was um, a call from, for Abraham was to get out of his father's house and uh, to move into something that God had promised. To do that, it meant action on Noah's behalf, I mean, sorry, on uh, Abraham's behalf. Abraham had to move. He had to, he had to make the choice to get up and go. And uh, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. 
And Abraham did that. And first thing we want to, uh, maybe a few things I want to look at here as it relates to the call. The first is the promise of God. God promised Abraham that the place he was called to, he should afterwards receive for an inheritance. After a while, he should have the heavenly kingdom for his inheritance, and in the process of time, his posterity should inherit the earthly Canaan. God calls us also, I believe, to an inheritance. And by doing that, he makes us his children and so heirs of the promise. <clears throat> Interestingly, with, with Abraham, this inheritance was not immediately possessed. He had, he had to wait for a season. But the promise was sure, and in due time, it should reach its fulfillment. <clears throat> you know, Abraham, when he was called to go, he went. He was obedient. Um, but he didn't possess the land right away. He was a sojourner in the land. And um, I've often wondered how that was for Abraham. Here he was in the land of Canaan. And um, he knew God had promised him this land. But here he was dwelling in tents and moving from time to time. And this went on for several generations. One of the things we see in the exercise of Abraham's faith is he yielded himself to the call of God. When Abraham was called by God, he yielded himself and he went. In other words, all of his other ambitions were subservient to that call that he had. Even though we know at times he, he tried to take things in his own hands, but his ambitions were subservient to that call. The other thing we see is he went out not knowing whether he went. He put himself into the hand of God to send him whithersoever he pleased. He subscribed to God's wisdom to direct his footsteps and submitted his will to that of his father. <clears throat> Faith and obedience are due to God. All that are people of this faith resign up their own will and wisdom to the will and wisdom of God. And it really is wise for us to do so. Though we may not always know our way, yet we know our guide. And this is what brings fulfillment into our life by following after what God has for us. <clears throat> He sojourned in a land of promise. This, I believe, was an exercise of his faith. Observe some of these things as it relates to him sojourning in a land of promise. Canaan is, a, is called a land of promise because it was yet pr only promised it was not possessed. Abraham lived in Canaan. He lived there even though he was the heir of the land, but he lived there as a sojourner. When he got there, he didn't serve an ejectment. He didn't come and, and conquer the land, but he simply lived in the land and moved from place to place. He, con he, he contented himself to live as a stranger, to bear their unkindnesses patiently, to receive favors from them thankfully, and to keep his heart fixed upon his heavenly home. 
the heavenly Canaan. <clears throat> he dwelled in tabernacles, it says. In verse 9, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and he was heirs with him of the same promise. <clears throat> He lived there in such a way that kept him moving about, living in daily readiness for his removal, and thus should we all live in this world, I believe, as well. Our life here is short. And um, we like to, for me, I like to put my stake in the ground, and this is where I'm at. Um, but for Abraham, he was moving about regularly, living in tents. He lived in a temporary kind of a, a way. <clears throat> Interestingly, <clears throat> he lived with Isaac and Jacob, and um, I, I enjoy these kinds of studies when you, when you look at generations and the overlapping of the generations. Jacob was 15 when uh, Abraham died, and so grandson would have sat on Abram's lap. I'm sure hearing many stories about God and about how God was faithful and um, living and moving about. He would have lived with Abraham. They sojourned together as a family group unit. And um, that's interesting to think about that. Abraham, a man of faith. <clears throat> I really believe Abraham, in, in verse 10 we see, Abraham, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So obviously Abraham, in moving about in the land of Canaan, was looking for something much better. And that is what his faith was grounded in. And so because of where he because of the promises that he knew were for him someday, where he was here right now was a, not the most important thing, and he kept moving about. <clears throat> he looked for a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. <clears throat> Abraham... <clears throat> It is a city that has foundations, even the immutable purposes and almighty power of God, the infinite goodness and meditation of Jesus Christ, the promises of an everlasting covenant, its own purity and the perfection of its inhabitants. It is a city whose builder and maker is God. <clears throat> you know, one day, one day that is where we will end up in. It, in, if we pers persevere in the faith, just as Abraham. <clears throat> he looked for it in verse 10, and he conversed by it in faith. And he, I believe he also um, was confident that in God's time and way, this would come to pass. This influence this had, this verse 10 had on his life, um, it was a support to him under all the trials of his sojourning state. 
I believe it helped him patiently bear all the inconveniences of moving about all the time. And he persevered there in until the end. One final thing on Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Here we have the story of Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. The story of Isaac is found in Genesis chapter 22. And I'd just like to read that story here this morning and make several comments as we go along. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham finally gets to the point where he has his own son from Sarah, which God had promised. And now God tells him in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abram, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. What? He just had a son. The promised son. Now God says, Abram, now I want you to go and offer Isaac. If I was Abram, I'd have a whole lot of questions in thinking, God, but you promised. The next thing we read in verse 3, Abraham simply did what Abraham does when God said something. He said, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abram said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Notice the communication with his servants. Abraham believed God had made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham had split these animals and blood ran down into the ditch, and God went through there, and Abram knew that God was going to keep his end of the covenant. I believe he had faith in that. He believed that, yes, God was going to carry this through. We see that coming through here in this verse. Um, He says this, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. I believe he simply believed that somehow God was going to make this happen where he would come back with his son. He had faith in in what God had promised. And Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abram his father and said, My father, 
And he said, here I, am, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac was having questions. They're going up through and they're saying, Dad, we have wood and we have fire and a knife, but where, where are we going to offer? And Abram said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And I believe as Abraham and Isaac were, were journeying along here, I don't know if they were having fatherly conversations. I imagine they were having conversations about things. I don't know. Maybe it was quiet. But I imagine they were conversing as they were going along. And they came to the place which God had told of him of. And Abram built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac. Now is when Isaac realizes that, oh, I'm the person that's going to get sacrificed. And laid him on the altar upon the wood. And I wonder how this would have looked. Um... What if Abram maybe had some conversation with Isaac here? Saying, Isaac, you know, this is what God told me to do. I, I would imagine that. Scripture doesn't say. But I imagine they had conversation about this. And Isaac laid there on the altar. And here we are, Abram. He's at the moment where he needs to do this. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I believe he had the knife in a poised position, ready to, do, to slay. This was Abram's faith. He, somehow he believed that this was going to happen, and that still he would have his son. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. But now I know, okay, by Abram's action, his faith moved him into action, even the taking of the knife and the slay, getting ready to slay. And he said, um, neither, for, I, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And then this is where the story ends with Isaac. Then, of course, they saw the, the ram and they offered up a ram in place. We're far removed from this time of Abram. And yet I believe there's lessons for us today in this faith. You know, there was a son another time who started walking up a hill on Mount Calvary. And this son was, had a, also had a father. And he walked with his father, and he loved his father, a lot like Isaac did. And as he walked up on the mountain, up on the hill, he too was laid on the wood. This time, they used nails, and they pierced his arms and his feet, but this time 
when it was time to slay the son, he was slain. And he was slain for you and for me. And this is where our faith rests in. We believe that Jesus came and that he died for you and for me. And that is what's at the foundation of our faith. That God offered up his own son for you and for me. Let's kneel together and pray. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>